Welcome back guys to Little Man's Financial Guide Podcast. This is episode 9 and today I'm your host Trey Suarez. You can find me on all social media handles at Trey W. Suarez. And with me today we have Melton Chambers and you can find me at Twitter at Sensei underscore Mellow. And I'm Kobe Ramsey. You can find me on Twitter at Cozy Money. Yeah, so today is going to be a different type of episode. We went out and asked a bunch of our listeners what questions do they have for us? Meaning, what questions do they have about the stock market or the forex market or any question in general? So, we took a bunch of questions and we're going to basically talk about these questions and give our answers, right? So, the first question that was asked was, how does one open a stock account and how does one open a forex account? So, I'll start with this question and then Kobe Milton, you can come in and add anything else. So, a stock account. How I went about opening a stock account was I went to JMMB, my preferred stock broker. I just put that out there. Anyway, so went to I went to JMMB and uh, I asked them, what do I need to open a stock account? They told me all I need is proof of address, source of funds, my ID, and my TRN. So you supply those stuff to them and then they give you a bunch of documents and you sign a few stuff and they basically go through with you giving a little introduction to the stock market and telling you how to trade on the stock market then they basically went into how do you make money in the stock market which was which is through capital gains and through dividends they explained all that to you after that you then sign a few more documents basically saying that you're giving them the right to manage your account and all this stuff and then they ask you to deposit a certain amount of money that depends on the broker. I believe for a JMMB, I may be wrong, I think it was $10,000. When you open the account, they then ask you if you want to do a, a dividend mandate. This is a form that you sign that allows the dividends that you get from any stock you invest in go straight to your account instead of getting a check. They then also ask if you want to have full access to the online account, right? Through the online um, platform, which you sign a few stuff again, and then they give you the online details. And then they normally say, wait a few days and you'll get an email basically telling you exactly what to do and how to set up the online account. And then after that, you get the details, you sign up, you sign in, and you're good to go. You're gonna have your full online account. You can do everything by yourself. You can buy and sell stocks and look at stocks and all those stuff. Now for Forex, right, the way all this is done is you have to do your research and look at the different brokers that, that are available to you, right? So first thing to note is that you need to have a Visa debit card or a MasterCard, right? These are the only cards that are able to connect with your broker because you're basically doing online transactions, right? So you do your research, you find a broker that can fulfill your needs. Basically, you look at what leverage you can look at what currencies and commodities you can trade with them and then you look at their sign up process. Normally, they simply ask you for a proof of identification, which is your ID or passport. Then they ask you for a source of funds and they ask you for proof of address. Yes. Normally, proof of address, you use a bill or you use a bank statement. I suggest using a bank statement. Your source of funds, that, that now depends on the, the broker. Some will ask you like if it's going to be inheritance or pay or anything of that sort. And then they ask you how much is it that you're going to put in and how often you're going to put in um, funds. That doesn't really matter. You can just pick something that you think you'll be using. And then normally ask you um, how much money you have in the bank account. Like what is your network? But that, as I said, that doesn't really matter either. But yeah, so you normally do that. You sign up online and everything and then you submit your, you submit your documents. And within 24 hours to 48 hours, they either accept you or reject you. They don't tend to reject you once everything is up to date and is right. Then after that now, you get access to either 
a MetaTrader 4 account or a MetaTrader 5 account. This is the platform that you use to fully buy and sell currencies or commodities. Alright, I think, think that's about it. Did I leave out anything, um, Kobe Hamilton? Alright. I'd like to add um, something on Forex side. It did mention something that we should always do our research, especially with the various companies and their spread. Just get a basic understanding of what the spread is. This is the difference between the value the broker have for a certain currency or commodity versus the life price of the commodity right now. So a better example, the company or the broker might say right now the value of the US dollar is 132 and the live value is 130 so you see that $2 difference it can be very crucial you don't want to take a broker that have a large spread because that way it may take you out of trades prematurely and you don't want that to happen very often because it will basically slap out your account so i think research is very keen also it's not every broker links with jamaica so you may have to get a U.S. account or account based in the United States or a foreign country to make your life more easier, basically. So these are certain things you have to look out for. And maybe it's not every broker. Some brokers, I know, they trade with Bitcoins and you may not want to go that route. So as Trey was saying before, research is very keen. Um, as it relates to the stock market, especially in Jamaica, Trey was repeatedly saying um, proof of address, your ID, and I think he uh, was saying TRN Trey. Did you say TRN? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. If you're opening any brokerage account in Jamaica, you're going to need those stuff. But the fees in Jamaica also varies. Different brokerage houses have different fees. And as she was saying earlier, we have to always focus on research. Always best you do your own research and get your own information than relying on someone else. Because uh, maybe someone that wants to trade on the day trader, they may want to use Sajikor because when you use Sajikor on day trader, they charge 0.5%. While if you have a NCB brokerage account and trade on day trader, they will charge 2%. So you want to do your own research and go through all the companies and see which one is best for you. And I think that's all I have to say, basically. Kobe, anything? I think I think you guys really wrapped it up. Next okay. question. Okay, yeah. Okay, so the next question is, which stocks are the best to invest in? Um, That basically means, which industry is the best to really invest in? I think that's what the person was really asking. Um, okay, so I can mainly talk from my experience. So for me, I've realized that the consumer and manufacturing market, the companies in that industry tends to do very well and uh, the financial industry tends to do very well. So that means like banks and those stuff. Those are the companies that I tend to invest in or have the larger stake in my portfolio. What about you, Milton and Kobe? Uh, this question, um, it's kind of tricky because, you know, it depends on what your objectives are because what's good for me might not be good for you. I remember say, as an investor, you have your own expected returns, your own um, principles and all that that you follow when you're, when you're buying something. So mm -hmm. if I was looking at an industry now, what I'd like to see is which companies are really performing well, meaning that you look at the financials and you see that they're growing revenues even during the pandemic. And we'll see that when we look at these industries, more than likely you'll find that manufacturing companies are doing well. Same as, as what Trey said, that manufacturers and, and companies that produce consumer durable goods Goods that are used regardless. It could have been through a recession. People are going to buy buy those those products. So you have manufacturing companies like Asem, which is Alaska Manufacturing. Jamaica Broilers did actually well in the last quarter. Surprisingly, um, 
we think uh, I, I don't know how the results were, but I know that they're growing revenue aggressively. So those good, those companies that produce like food products, you know that those those companies are doing um, very well. Now, I wouldn't be buying financials right now. Right, depends on the company because that's industry. But the overall industry, because of the depression in asset prices, you know that the revenue um, isn't isn't really. Or the revenue is good, but the profit line is shrinking because they have expected credit losses things that I've said before that would be affecting them um, going forward. So what I would be buying right now in Jamaica would be uh, manufacturing uh, companies. But our market is really limited, to be honest, because I think we have less than 150 securities and we have a very lacking tech industry, that's technology. So we don't have a lot of tech tech companies on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. I think we only have one and that's probably T-Tech and not even them are really putting in a, a good a good performance compared to like if you go up on Nasdaq, we have companies like Apple, Google, Adobe, um, Cisco, all of those companies that are really performing well and their share prices are going up. Well, we don't really have that kind of exposure in Jamaica yet. I mean, we have tech companies here, but they, are, they aren't really listed. So what I would be looking at now is mainly um, manufacturing companies. Uh, Milton, do you have anything to share? What's looking interesting to you? Yeah, well, to answer the question, when it is deciding which industry to, I don't want to focus on industry. It's better if you look at where the market is at now, how the economic condition is at now, because an industry may be performing good at a certain time. That does not mean that it's going to always continue on that trend because the market always changes. So maybe a couple of years back, financial was boom but then we realize now the pandemic has taken a toll so now we're inside and we're consuming more goods more manufacturing goods and now the manufacturing companies tend to rise so if i was giving advice i'd tell that person to look on the broader picture first before you select which stock or industry to invest in because it's like a top-down analysis per se you look at the broader picture and then you dissect and pick the better industry or stock. And also you may have a stock that is in an industry that is doing very poorly, but that specific stock is doing extremely well. So sometimes you even have to go further down and ignore all the noise within the industry and really focus on what the company is doing. So you identify the environment and which companies are taking advantage of the environment. So at, at the start of the pandemic, we saw, as Trey and Kobe were saying, we saw where the manufacturing companies took the opportunity of the pandemic because people are stuck at home. They, they can't live without food. So obviously, they are stuck up on food and tin items that the manufacturing house produce. So you saw where capital gains could be made if you invest within the manufacturing industry at the time. So now, as we're going forward, we have to look on what is to come and plan accordingly. And then you can pick which stock would best suit your portfolio and even your horizon. Because as Kobe was saying, time does play a factor when you're choosing which stock or industry to invest in. Yeah, fully agree with that. All right. So I think that also answers another question that someone asked. Um, they asked, what are a few factors you look at when, when you look into investing companies? And I think you basically covered most of that, Milton. But is there anything else you want to add to that? Or Kobe, is there anything you want to want to say on that? Any any factors, any other factor you look at when investing in companies? This is a really testing question. 
I think it's really good. Most of the questions so far have been really good. So big up whoever asks them question. Yeah. Um, in regards to different factors that you look for when you're investing, as I said when I started, it really depends on your goals. So what looks good to me might not look good to you, or what we might be investing for might be different. I'm really looking for a, com- a stable company that. I can put my money in there and I can leave the company to appreciate, meaning capital gains wise, while giving me um, additional income through dividends. So they should have the capacity to grow the share price based on excellent um, earnings reports and also to satisfy shareholders by paying dividends. So that's what I really, that's the basis of what I'm going, what I'm going for. But it might change and you have to be dynamic when you're looking at companies. So. If you really want to, you know, be aggressive, you might look at companies not only on the dividend side or the capital gains, but you might look at it as a trade where you mostly focus on the capital gains. So a trade would be different now because what you're looking for is a divergence in price from where it normally trades. You might have a big seller come in the market and the price might drop from where it is and then you buy it and then you trade it up to where it was before. And that's really momentum that you're using to trade when you're trading on Jamaica Stock Exchange. So that's really different from long-term investing. And I've said previously that I see myself as a long-term investor, even though you can switch between either and go about it, because not every company might pay an excellent dividend journal. Given the current macroeconomic environment, not every company might satisfy the first criteria. Therefore, you have to shift your, your, your perspective and you have to shift your strategy to really short-term plays in the market. So what you really want to look at is maybe any news that might be coming up that might help the company or just the, the growth projection of the company you might look at and see whether or not uh, they might be putting in some good results. So you might not really be investing for long-term, but you might say, all right, maybe I can make a, a 15% here and then you, you put it into a long-term stock per se. So yeah, so I'll be, I'll, I'll be saying that just be dynamic that when you're when you're looking at companies and hopefully that works out for you all right so basically i just like repeating what kobe said it just it's really based on your preference and your time horizon everybody might have different tastes or may like different stocks so you have to find your appetite and fill it whether it be short term or long term or whether it be through capital gains or to dividends, or even both. You just have to find your appetite and satisfy it. Yeah, okay, get that. There's there's one other thing I'd like to add on how someone can look for stocks to invest in. Uh, a very simple thing you can do is look at the company and uh, think about or research how has it affected Jamaica. So like, is it is it a company that's going to better the economy and how long can that company provide that service for it and those type of stuff so for example let's look at lab so i was talking to kobe right and he was basically suggesting a company and stuff and uh, lab came up right so i looked into lab and i realized that lab provide an advertising slash graphic service for a lot of companies right and i thought to myself that during these times like uh, companies are going to be in a lot of advertising. So I think Lab was trading at $1.80 something to $1.90 something. And I bought it at that point. And it was somewhat during the peak of Corona. And I was thinking to myself that a lot of companies are going to want to get their message out. 
and going to want to do a lot of graphics and stuff. So maybe this is a chance for Lab to really shine. And I guess my thought process was right because after a few weeks, I saw Lab at $2.60 or $2.50 something thereabout, and I made a nice profit. So there you go. You can you can look at a company and think about how is it going to benefit the economy? How is it going to benefit Jamaica? What service is it providing? And this also is the next reason why I invested in Wigton because I looked at Wigton and I saw that it was a renewable company. You know, they provide wind energy. And I said to myself that I love renewables and I feel like eventually this can be something that Jamaica will be very big in because you know how the world is going by 2050 we should be using lots of renewable energy. So I said to myself that invested in Wington, it can be a very good, very good investment in the long run. So yeah, that's what I did. I looked at the company and how it can benefit Jamaica. So yeah, that, that's one factor you can look out for. Oh yeah, and another important thing that you shouldn't forget is that you should learn how to value companies because that's also a very important factor that I failed to, to mention. So learn how to value companies and that can give, that can give you a gauge as well as to to buy or to sell, sell yes. a company or whether or not it good. deserves a place in your portfolio based on the valuation. So that's another thing to take into consideration. Very, very good thing you brought up all the Kobe. So that leads straight into the next question. What is an indicator, indicator to sell, to sell stock? Yeah. Oh, well, my indicator is that I think it's kind of subjective in a way because you can tell when a stock has like get gotten ahead of itself. So same lab when me and you were talking, Trey, and we're saying that how far can this company go? And you were mm-hmm. saying, ah, oh, four, I go only till it began a four. I'm saying, no, bro, it's not going to four. We're saying it out, and then we say, if you value it, it's uh, when, you, when you bought it, it was at 14 times earnings. That's a PE of 14 times. And the market was at something like 17 or 20. Or the junior market was at something like 22 times. So it's uh, it was it was really undervalued based on the profit that he was making compared to the market. So when we go into it now, we say, all right, how far can it go? You use the market average, which is 22 times. So when the good results came in, and I told you that, all right, it might do a 50% in increase in, in profit based on the tax break and uh, the, the line of business that they're in, that they should take advantage of the pandemic. So with that being said, you see lab lab share price go up to a high of like three dollars. So when you see that now, you see the, the PE kind of peaked at about 20 plus times earnings, which is like a barrier or a resistance based on previous um, prices. Because at IPO, it, I think it went up to like four. So looking at that, and you see the historical historical resistance for the, for the stock. You can know that more than this stock isn't going to go to as high as four dollars. So I'm going to value it based on the historical PE. So the historical PE being around 20, 20, 22 times, you can see that, all right, it has reached reached its peak and then it might come back down, which it did recently. You see that it peaked at three and now it's at about it's at about 250. So it's still up from, from when we, we spot it, but it's below the key resistance level. So that's another thing to look at. You look at the historical PE because it's not only you looking at it, you know, it's the market average. So it's it's the consensus of all investors, institutional, um, retail, or traders look at it all the time. So it's not just a, a relative valuation. It's a consensus of everybody. I'm trading on it. You are trading on it, so you need to, to take that into consideration. So it's not a, a case where, where a stock can go 500% anytime, because if that was the case, then we'd buy everything. So it's not so it's not like a guess. 
it's not guessing. So looking at the lab, I'd say that you'll use the relative valuation method, which is the PE, and you look at historical PE and you see where it has been trading and where it has pulled back most of the time. And that should give you a good a good sense of um, when, to, when to sell a stock, basically. Or it could be any contingency, meaning any problems that the company might face in the future. So you might see that in the notes to the financial statements or notes accompanying, accompanying the financial statements. So you might see a company having problems with some kind of regulation. So we see Salada coming out and they have a, I don't know, I think the, the ministry is, one of the ministries is trying to really put a quota or a regulation on, on, the, on the content of their coffee. They have to include a portion of a local coffee or, or a set percentage of local coffee. So that, that's, that can be detrimental to, to their profit line. So because changing the whole composition of, of your product, you know that the suppliers have to change, the cost structure have to change, and a lot of change. So when you're looking at it, you're seeing that I say, all right, look like the company are running out of trouble sometime soon. So I might have to take take some profit here and then reevaluate it in the future. So you have to you have to watch the news, you have to keep up with the news and all that stuff. Really gauge whether or not to sell a stock. So yeah. Anything you want yeah. to add with one? To the add to Kobe was saying, what I normally use for my short term plays is the buying pressure versus the selling pressure when i look on the buying side of the queue and i realize that there's a lot of units being requested that is a signal that price will go up because it's just simply basically the laws of demand and supply and when i see large amount of units on the selling side of the queue i know that price may tend to go down so that's a basic knowledge i use to determine when to sell a stock um also i always like to use the pandemic as an example you can see things ahead of time so we know that the pandemic is going to affect a lot of citizens though and businesses maybe persons that can't repay their loan or persons that may run into difficulties financially and then now you look at these things and say which industry will it affect or which companies it will affect and you can say oh that will affect um financials because they cannot get back the loans which they hand out to business or private individuals so that's going to cause them to suffer losses realized or unrealized on their balance sheet or better say financial statements and then that will affect their stock price because personal person always look on the financial to, to gauge the health of a company that may drive fear into person so things like that, it can provide a good indication when to sell a stock. So you can look into hindsight, look ahead, and as Kobe said, they can use your metrics. Yeah, one thing to note, we were talking about the contingency liability for Salada, and it's actually the Jamaica Agricultural Commodities Regulatory Authority, or JACRO, is trying to pass some regulation on them. Or they already passed it, but it's just to, for them to reevaluate the composition of Salada's um, coffees, so the coffees that they sell. So Salada will have to incorporate some amount of or increased level of Jamaican produced coffee, which I'm saying is if you keep up with news and you keep up with the news on JC, you'd see something like and say all right this company will be running into some problems so just something to note or an example that you can use all right yeah thanks for that Milton, for the position and everything and yes kobe um noted yeah so the next the next question now is how can i gauge a stock's health i think i think we basically touched wow. on that but is wow. there anything else you want to just add no i don't i don't think i answered it 
to be honest. Okay, alright, alright. Just dive in. Milton, you wanna start? You can start, Milton. Wait, what do you look for when you when you're checking the health of a stock? It's a really flawed question though. It's real the, the health of the company. Underline the stock. Well, I think that's what all it right. means. Yeah, that's true. Alright, alright. So how you can gauge the health of a the stock price? Um Remember, say, you have to first understand, say, the stock price don't really tell what the company is really doing. Because at one moment, the stock price can shoot go up, and at the next moment, it can fall right back down. It really depends on the, depends on the perception of the investor. What investor will use now is their financials or they look in they look ahead of time to see where, which company can gain from future economic activities those are what you can no one use the word predict but see where a company is going which can in the end see where price of a stock may go so to say how you can gauge the health of a stock how you can gauge the health of a stock price yeah um I would just say it's better to focus on the company and then make the results speak for themselves rather than saying I'm just going to focus on the stock price, see how best I can determine whether the stock price is going up or down. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's just what how I feel about it. Yeah. Trey, you have anything to say? No, I don't have anything to say. Trey can can just wait in Ah, so I gave this question some thought before um, coming on. And uh, uh, what I look for really is that it's going to need some accounting knowledge, to be honest. Being, uh, being frank with you, it's going to need some accounting knowledge. So if you never like accounting at school, you have to go like it now. Or the basic accounting, you have to go like it. So knowing how to read a financial statement, knowing how to interpret a financial statement, and knowing how to make inferences from a financial statement will be a very, very, very important asset um, in gauging the health of a company, not the stock the company so you look at the first financial statement which is basically the balance sheet and what i like to look at is basically the level of debt on the company's um, balance sheet depending on the industry so what you really want to do is use some ratios basically so uh what i'll call these or what they are called is basically the solvency liquidity and yeah so the solvency and liquidity ratios so solvency meaning that if the company can satisfy their debt obligations so a while back we were looking at general accident insurance and we we're saying that the debt to equity is really low compared to the industry so looking at that ratio you can gauge whether or not a company may be too over leveraged meaning that they most of the debt is probably overbearing on the company and they might run into problems in the future if if one of their revenue sources is ob- totally obliterated like the pandemic that we're going to now you know that tourism companies like cpj that's caribbean producers might be having trouble getting all that inventory out so their high debt level is causing come some concern on the health of the company so if you knew that you know it's more than likely they're going to run into trouble or eventually some kind of freak occurrence will happen then the debt is going to be a problem on their balance sheet so you really want companies and this is to the average investor who can't really handle that level of risk they might be looking at companies with a lower debt to equity ratio my benchmark would be lower than 30 percent or close to 30 percent that means that debt is a key instrument to for a company who wants to grow so you might have a company that have a, has a low leverage so lower than 30 percent and they can take on more debt to grow in that industry so the debt equity serves basically two purposes to see if a company is, re- is really over leveraged or are the leverage is, is suitable to, to the industry then you can use that to see whether or not they'll be able to add on more debt and grow and become like a market leader so that's one thing so that's one solvency ratio um a liquidity ratio 
which would be the quick asset and or the quick creation current ratio, right? Yeah. So the liquidity ratios that are really good based but mostly with manufacturing companies is that you really check their current assets and current liabilities. So the current asset over current liabilities gives you the current ratio and the quick ratio is calculated by minusing the inventory from the total current assets and you divide it by the current liabilities. And what you really want to look at for the quick ratio or the quick or the current ratio is a, is a ratio above one. So that means that in within any particular year, they can satisfy their debt, their current debt obligation. That debt, that's debt that is due in less than one year so they can satisfy that debt obligation and there is no going concern risk on the company that means that they can satisfy um, their their debt obligations and it would not lead to a company having to wrap up shop or to like sell off assets or in one of those occurrences which would basically be bad for shareholders in the end so you really want to gauge the health of the stock you look at the solvency and liquidity ratios and they might even want to go deeper and you look into their receivables or the composition of their receivables or their loan book. So with banks, as we said before, the loan book is really important because, you know, that's where the bank makes most of their money through um, loans and the interest that they receive on those loans. So a bank that has a high delinquency rate or a high non-performing loan ratio is going to run into some problems because the interest that it costs to borrow to finance those loans is not is going to be more than the, than the interest income that they receive from issuing those loans. So when you have a occurrence like that, where the interest income is less than the interest expense, you have a bank that's going to run into problems eventually. If those debts are called, they won't be able to pay them off. So that's another thing. And then the receivables, the composition of their receivables. So what you really want to gauge is whether or not the, the, the receivables are passed due. And that's accounts receivables on a manufacturing company's balance sheet. So you might have a company that has a receivable or the receivables are passed due, that's past 90 days. That means that there is no chance of them collect that money. And that would put them into problems because they have to write that off as bad debt, which is basically an expense because they have to amortize all the value of, of those uh, products that they sold. So they'll have to charge that to, to their to their revenue. And that's that's really bad. That's a really bad situation. And a company that has less than 1% delinquency of their inventories or 1% delinquency of their receivables is going to be in a better position than somebody that, than a company that has over 10% because they're, they aren't going to be, be able to collect on 10% of the overall uh, receivables that they put out. And that, that's a really good metric to, to look at. And another thing on the balance sheet that they love is a company that has a lot of cash on hand because you never know when, when, when you're going to need cash. And there is no saying that cash is king basically so a company with a lot of cash on hand can do a lot of stuff and they have a lot of flexibility going forward so looking at cash is a really good is a really good metric and probably we can talk about inventory also is that a company that has a high percentage of inventory on their balance sheet is not a good sign so maybe even a jetcon with with a good like a 90 percent of them assets are come from are come from um inventories alone and that leads to a lower quick ratio and that is very dangerous so if most of their debt i don't know the debt composition of jetcon but if most of their debt is due within one year then they're going to run into some problems it's going to be hard to sell cars to people who aren't buying cars in a pandemic That's one thing I noticed. So looking at the composition of their assets is really good, a good step. And the overall balance sheet to gauge the health of the company as a going concern. And what we said at the start is that contingencies also, I said, are out on news and events that might affect the company in the future. And goodwill, which is basically the excess amount that you pay 
on an asset that's above the net asset value or the worth of the company on paper. So if you have a, let's say, for instance, Mailpack that bought or Mailpack was a combination of two companies. That's Mailpack Local and Mailpack Services, I think. If you're listening, you can correct me. So what they did is that they, they basically incorporated both entities into one Mailpack group that we have today. But if you look at Mailpack's balance sheet, majority of the asset is in goodwill, which is what they paid or they paid to the owners of Mailpack Services and Mailpack from local. So they paid more than, than what the company is actually worth. And that's, you can't really sell that to somebody else. If the company isn't isn't doing well, you have to amortize that on your on your cash flow state and your income statement. So looking at that, a company that has a high percentage of goodwill is not a is not a good look. Not saying that Mailpack is a bad company because they have a high goodwill percentage of assets. It's just that companies might use that to inflate their balance sheet basically and make all the other metrics look relatively good. But Mailpack makes a lot of a lot of money on those two companies. So it's really it's okay basically with, with that level of goodwill because they make money on those companies. So that's one thing to note as well and the cash flow statement what you want to look at for the cash flow statement is that how is this company financing its business and what you want to say is a positive operating cash flow that really means that the, the current operations of the company is positive that means that they generate uh, increasing cash from the previous year and that's a really good sign because that means that the, the basic business model is positive has a positive cash flow balance going through it so that's a really good sign and what you really want to see is that how are they financing their business so you might look at cash flow from financing activities and if the, the operating cash flow is negative and the cash flow from financing activities is positive that means that are they they're taking on more debt that's really a telling sign as to say like how are they financing the business so a company that is has a negative operating cash flow and has to borrow money to finance the the day-to-day cash needed in the business i think that's a that's another good way to see whether or not a company is is doing well and having a having a positive operating cash flow means that they can also have more free cash means that cash that is that can be this um, dispersed to shareholders so positive operation operating cash flow means that there's probably more free cash that can be distributed so that's another way to check the health of a, of a company and the cash flow statement is really important also because this 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 statement really strips away all the fat from the income statement so you might have a company that report uh, a lot of revenue from like uh, the increasing value of their um, real estate on their income statement but when it reaches to the cash flow statement they have to disregard all all those revenue streams because it's not cash per se so they have to, to strip away all of that and that gives you a good representation of how much cash is this company generating because that's the true value of the company how much cash it's not really the profit because profit can be manipulated in anyway you can have uh moving off a lot of things off the books but the cash flow statement is probably the most trustworthy statement of all three i'd say so that's comes up a lot of stuff to look at but if you're, if you're serious and you want to look at to look at companies to invest in and you want to challenge what you're what you're investing in and you want to have a, a clean conscience and you want to sleep good at night then most of this stuff is relevant and you want to take out all of that guesswork guessing whether or not a company is doing well and you want to question your advisors because most of the stuff that they recommending they're telling you the share price and and how much they think it's going to go but they aren't really giving you a breakdown of, of how the, the internal health of the company so they want to question your advisors and want to say all right but so and so and so have have that going on and you might give a, a, a good representation of, of your interest also so yeah that's one thing to look at yeah this is a very good point Kobe. very good point so that leads yeah. to our next question next question 
what determines the stock price? Ah, uh, this simple. Demand and supply. Okay. <laughs> you want <laughs> to break that down a little bit more? Wilson, <laughs> <laughs> you want to break that down? Because I think uh, this, right. this probably has more relation to Forex than, than you think. Because you're gauging where the, the, the power of the bulls and bears in the market. So, Milton, you probably can't take this on. As Kobe was saying, it all comes down to the law of demand and supply. Basic econ, if you have excess demand, that they're going to drive up price. And if you have excess supply, that are going to push down price. This this law has just to do with price in general, whether it be stock price, food price, any price. This is just for price. So from the example I was using earlier in the podcast, when I look in the bike unit, I see a lot of buyers and a large amount of units. I know that the stock price is going to go up. That's an indicator that price is going up. If I look over on the sell queue and realize that there's a large amount of sellers and, and, and it has a large amount of volume, then I'm saying, okay, stock price is going to go down. Sometimes the challenge comes in where there's a large amount of buyers and sellers. So in that case, price may just stick within a range or it doesn't, it won't increase or fall that much. So maybe price would be at an equilibrium that's what that's the term when when the demand and supply side are equal so you just have to look at look into that and you can get a better indication when price is going up or down all right so let's move into the last question now yes so the last question says would it make sense to buy shares in a company that is selling at a high pe ratio or and why would an investor buy shares in a company that is selling at a very high pe ratio all you kobe Ah, this is a really good question. It has many interpretations because what the industry will tell you is that buying a company in a with a high P or a company that has a high P is an indication by investors that they expect this company to have record earnings or good earnings in the future. And they expect a, a high level of growth in a company. So when you say a high PE, that's what the consensus is that the company will have uh, more growth in the future. But it doesn't always work that way because this is where the real work comes in and this is where you have to use your intuition and common sense because not it's not always the case that it, it's it's investors expectation that that's why the PE is high it could be that in the moment because remember says our relative valuation and it's really lagging to the overall performance of the company because you only can value a company based on its last 12 months of, of operate based on the PE because it's a full year of earnings or trailing earnings that they can use to find the PE. So it's really a, a backward looking indicator if, they, if you're really looking at it. So taking that into consideration, when you look at a company that has a high PE, it could be that they had a record like drop in earnings. That's why the PE is high. While a company that has a low PE might have a, a good earnings report, but it isn't really reflected in the stock price. Because remember said that the ratio is, is the share price, which is the stock price, and divided by the earnings per share or the EPS for the last uh, four quarters or the last year overall. So you might have a company that has a record year and it just reflected based on the calculation. And you will see in that is that the stock price isn't really reflective of that. So buying a low PE company isn't doesn't mean that investors really um, see a low expectation of earnings. Could be, could be that there's a dislodgement in the, in the market and that's where you can profit from buying companies with a low PE but have been growing um, consistently and that's another thing that I'd like to go into as well that usually 
what they tell you is that R1 consensus. I think this was on um, another um, investing podcast called Earning Season, where um, Danai said that the PE is basically an indication of how long it will take a company to really give you back the value you paid for it per share. So you might have a, a company selling at 22 times, and that's indication that it's going to probably appreciate at in 22 years in the future to give you back your initial cost basis for buying for buying the shares. So that's one way to look at it also. But what I'll add to that is that also a good metric to really get the, the bad PE side of it, meaning a low PE, is that you can look at the growth or the compound aggregate growth rate of the company for the last whichever period you plan on investing. So let's say you want to hold a company for four years. Let's use an example of four years. Then you'd have to use the compound aggregate growth rate for the last four years and say so that this company is growing at 20 times. That means that more than likely it deserves a PE of 20 times because in four years, next four years, it will have it, the, the EPS will grow at a, at, a, at a rate of about 20% per year. So taking that into consideration, it will give you back the, or that would be an 80% return within the four years based on the EPS. So one example of that would be if you look at Barito, Barito. Um, had a let's say 2016 Barita had a EPS of about 40 cents that's 40 Jamaican cents they made 40 cents per share um, for that year so that was 2016 and then that appreciated up to about two dollar 67 cents in 2020 that's the trailing earnings for 2020 so looking at that you can see that that a compound aggregate growth rate for, for Barita over the last four years would be 53%. But if you look at the PE in, in 2016, it was 12 times earnings. We, and the share price was about $6. And now in 2020, the PE is at 20, 21 times with a share price of $50. So that's a, that's a big return over the four years. But looking at the compound aggregate growth rate, you might see that more than likely this company deserves a really high PE based on how fast it's growing compared to the market which it does and you see that over the over the four years barita has grown into that um compound aggregate growth rate of about 53 percent so that's another thing to add to to what to what um then i was saying that the pe can can be used in that way and you should also take into consideration the compound aggregate. that's what i use for for it as well so looking at the the previous growth rates of the company, you can can estimate how much it's supposed to. And I use that for for Genic as well. I think General General, General Accident Insurance had a compound area growth rate above twenty percent, while PE was about eight times. So you can see that more than likely in the long run, the stock will appreciate to its fair value of wherever the compound aggregate growth rate is. Because if a company is growing at fifty three percent, then every year it's adding fifty three percent to its earnings. And if you want a, a more clear example, Barita from 2019 to 2020 did 182% um, increase in profit, which is, it's really exceptional that, that, that you have companies growing that fast. So a PE of about 21 times, which is high, is really warranted for companies. And people will be buying companies like, like this because they taking in the, the compound aggregate growth rate in perspective, they might say that the company is really undervalued based on how fast it's growing. So picking up on stuff like that, you can can really profit. And you can find out how to calculate it on the internet because it's really much and you can look up that. And another company, just to give you a full view of how it is, is um, JMB as well. Because JMB in 2016 had a EPS or earnings per share of $1.39. And in the last 12 months, it has generated about $3 per, three or $4 if you want to talk per share. 
That's a compound aggregate growth rate over the last four years of 30%. So JMMB, by my use of the, of the PE metric, deserves a PE of around 30 times. If, if are everything being constant, it deserves a PE of, of 30 times based on how fast it's growing. And I, I might even take a discount on that based on based on where the market PE is, PE is right now at about 17 times. And JMMB PE right now is about 7 compared to that. But that might be due to the expectation on the earnings of the company. But in the long run, JMMB growing at 30 times would generate if it times the 30 by the EPS, which would give you a now a PE of 30, would, would give you um a hundred. So it's the 30 times 3.99 cents or $3.99. That will give you a share price of 119 and 70 cents per share in the next four years. So if JMMB continues to grow at at the 30% per year, then they should achieve a share price of $119.07 within the next four years. So if you use the compound aggregate growth rate as well, that gives you another perspective on the PE. Uh, that's one way to, to look at it. Yeah, so looking at the compound aggregate growth rate is a good indication. And if you go, if you want to go further, you could even plot the EPS expectation on a, on a curve. You can go into Excel and just plot the curve for it and then compare it to the actual share price, actual trading of the company over, over that time. So when you look at that and you see that there's a divergence between the earnings lines, which is which is where you account for the expected EPS based on the growth rate and the underlying company's trading. So you only have a divergence, you can know that there's a probably the company is really undervalued. And you can buy it with the expectation that in the future it would appreciate uh, its fair value. And the next part of the question is why would investors buy shares in a company that was selling on a very high price to earnings? Yeah, so that same thing that people buy it because they have uh, high expectations of the company's growth in the future. Or the there was a massive decline in earnings and that kind of the current PE is really higher because the EPS fell. So the equation or the ratio got um, higher based on based on that. So so that's one thing to, to note when you're looking at the PE. So it's really relative too. So you have compared to the, the overall industry as well, because it's a relative valuation. So you can't take Barita by itself. You have to take Barita with Sterling Investments Limited. You have to take them with Epley Limited. You have to take them with Mayberry Investments and probably Victoria Mutual Investments as well. And you take the industry average and you see what is the fair price that, that, that investors are paying for for this company right now, based on based on its earnings per share? So yeah, so that's that's the way I go about it. All right, yes, thank you very much, Kobe, for answering that question. I think I think we we'll fully understand, and uh, that really brings us to the end of all the questions. Um, if you guys have any questions that you want to ask us, you can just reach out to us and shoot us some questions, and we'll do another episode like this. Thinking we might make this into a thing where we do an episode um, just answering you guys' questions, trying not to make it too long, and uh, you guys can get as much information as possible. So yeah, reach out to us, shoot us your questions. Um, you know where to find us. You can find us on Instagram at Littleman's Financial Guide, on Twitter at Littleman's Guide, on Facebook at Littleman's Financial Guide, and you can also shoot us an email at Littleman's Financial Guide at yahoo.com and this is basically it for this episode thank you very much for listening